I'm going to read two texts this morning, first Exodus 40 and then Acts 2. The uh, last few weeks I've been working through a sermon series on Pentecost and the Pentateuch, and this section from uh, Exodus 40 is about as close as we can get to an Old Testament Pentecost. So I'll begin by reading Exodus 40, verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. And now we'll switch over to the New Testament, and I'll read the first few verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Uh, Most of you know that I spent some time as a missionary in Africa. And one of the first few weeks that we were there, one of the local believers came by our house to visit. So he and I sat on the porch for a while, and we tried to talk. But that was a bit difficult because Luca knew about three words of English, and I knew maybe 40 or 50 words of one of the languages he spoke, and no words of the rest of the languages he spoke. But we did our best. Well, after we'd been there for a little while, Luca started talking about this thing called donkali. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried a few different things to explain this to me. He very emphatically pointed down and said, Yana Chiki! That meant absolutely nothing to me, just like it does to you. Well, then Luca pointed outside and he talked for a while, and that didn't help me at all either. So he finally went outside, he walked around the yard for a bit, and then he picked a little plant and he brought it in and he pointed at it and said, Come on, Haka! I said, Donkali is come on haka? What? That, that wasn't it either. So finally, I just gave up on figuring it out that way, and I went inside the house, and I found my English to house dictionary, and I looked up donkali, which took a while, because figuring out how to spell in another language is a whole other challenge, and donkali is potato. He had been trying to tell me about these things that he planted down in the ground that had a top that looked like this. So we had just spent 20 minutes figuring out that he had planted potatoes that morning. I had some really profound conversations as a missionary, but that was not one of them. When you don't have the words to talk about something, it's really hard to understand what's going on. And we don't, when you don't have the cultural experience, it's even harder. We have that with the Bible sometimes, and especially with the Old Testament. There's a lot of things in there that we just don't get because it doesn't fit with our everyday language or experience. And the book of Exodus has a fair amount of that. The first half or so is about God delivering the people from Egypt and bringing them out with a mighty hand through the Red Sea across the desert to Mount Sinai. And those are great stories. 
But then for the second half of Exodus, once the people get to Mount Sinai, there's all these instructions about how God's people can be holy and about how they can build this holy place for God to come and live with them. Now, all of this concern with holiness is a little hard for us to get in this time and place. It's like the Bible is speaking a different language than what we're used to. And since it can be kind of hard for us to get inside that idea of holiness, I want to spend some time this morning thinking about what holiness is and how that connects with the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost. But before we get into that, I want to pause for a moment and consider a problem. When Exodus spends all this time focused on holiness, it's assuming that there's a problem somewhere. And there is. A lot of the book of Exodus is concerned with the fact that God is holy and the people are unholy. The Lord is a holy God and the Israelites are most emphatically not a holy people. What's more, the Israelites don't know how to serve a holy God. They don't know how to grow in holiness. They don't even really know what what it would look like to be holy. And in this respect, the Israelites aren't too different from us. We still have this problem that God is a holy God, but often we're not quite sure what that means for our lives. But as with most spiritual problems, the answer here comes from God's work and from God, not from ourselves. In Exodus and now, God makes his people holy so that we can live with him. And he does that in two ways. The first solution to the holiness problem is that God makes us positionally holy. Positionally holy. Now, holy basically means set apart or separate. Something is holy if it is set apart in a special way. Holy things are in a different category. They're in a different place. To be holy is to be set apart. So when God was at work making his people holy, the first thing he did was bring them to a different place. In the book of Exodus, the Lord begins by bringing his people out of Egypt. And then he brings them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, he gives them all kinds of instructions about how to live and how to build a tabernacle for him to live in. And by the time we get to Exodus 40, which is the very end of the book, God is finally able to come down and dwell with his people in that tabernacle. And by the way, tabernacle literally means dwelling place. So God is holy, but he has made a place where he can live close to his people. But the people still can't get quite into God's holy presence. Even Moses, who was closer to God than just about anybody else in the Old Testament, could not enter the tent of meaning once God's presence had filled it. They just couldn't go there. But if we move over to the New Testament, God makes himself a new temple where he can come and he can dwell right in the midst of his people. That temple was the body of Jesus Christ. And in John 1.14, the Bible tells us that the word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And what that literally says is Jesus Christ took on flesh and tabernacled. Jesus came down as God's holy presence right in the midst of God's people. In Jesus, the holy, set-apart God who people couldn't approach moved from living in a building close to God's people to living as another human being in the midst of God's people. 
And then on Pentecost Day, the Holy Spirit came down to live inside of all of God's people. In Exodus, God came to live near his people. In Jesus, God came and lived as one of his people. But now, after the coming of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come to live in God's people. God's Spirit takes us as unholy people and sets us apart to be God's dwelling place. He takes us from one spiritual place and moves us to another. When I was a kid, I used to like this book called Humbug Mountain. That book was about a boy named Wiley who grew up sort of in the Old West on the border of Nebraska and South Dakota where the Missouri River ran. But a couple years before the book picks up, there'd been this weird storm, and the Missouri had gotten all dammed up, and it moved to a new course just a couple hundred yards away from the old one. But in those days, when the river moved, the border moved. What had been South Dakota became Nebraska. And partway through the book, this villainous character shows up with a Nebraskan deed for the land that Wiley and his family have settled on and tells them to take off because their South Dakota claim isn't worth the paper it's written on. But then through a chain of fortunate events, the river breaks through and returns to its original course. And once again, Wiley and his family have moved into South Dakota. Without any work of their own, without any effort on their behalf, because the river has moved, they have moved to a new state. They're in a new location, a new position in life, and that makes all the difference in their lives. Now, in the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God has moved the heavens and the earth, and he has brought us to a brand new place spiritually. He has set us apart as his people, and he has made us positionally holy. He has declared us to be holy and to be worthy of him dwelling in us. Apart from Christ's work, we are all unholy people. God is separate from us, and we cannot get to him. But the Holy Spirit sets us apart as God's people and carries us into God's presence. So we are positionally holy today. But of course, all of us, if we're honest, know that we still aren't perfectly holy people. God, first of all, makes us able to live with him, but then he continues to work in our lives to be able to live like him as perfectly holy and righteous people. After the Holy Spirit makes us positionally holy, He keeps working in us to make us progressively more and more holy. But before I get into some imagery of what it means for us to become progressively more holy, I want to mention a few things that becoming holy does not look like. First, becoming more holy does not look like a hobby. Becoming holy is not something we can just leave to the few among us who enjoy it. We can't just say, oh, you know, that person likes camping, that person likes gardening, that person likes running, and that person likes becoming holy. Everybody, enjoy your hobby. Holiness and growing in holiness is not something we can take or leave. If you're going to follow God, then your life has to be becoming more holy. Second, becoming more holy doesn't look like returning to the good old days. We can't just say, oh, people back then, people 30 or 300 years ago, they really knew how to live holy lives. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But every particular generation and time has its own strengths and weaknesses, its special virtues and its particular sins. God doesn't call us to go back to the good old days. He calls us to follow him and become holy in our own time 
in our own place according to his word. And third, becoming more holy isn't about getting a religious buzz or having a nice, happy, spiritual feeling. Becoming holy changes our lives. It doesn't just make us feel vaguely at peace with the universe. And finally, growing in holiness doesn't mean just keeping the rules and doing the right things. Keeping the rules and getting everything right doesn't make any difference for your holiness if your heart isn't in it. You can, you can do all the right things, but if your heart's not in the right place, it won't make you holy. Rule-keeping by itself just turns you into a grumpy hypocrite, not a holy follower. But then how can we think about holiness? What if we look at our lives will make us say, hey, my life looks like I'm becoming more holy? Well, in Exodus 40, after God comes down and he takes up residence with his people, he begins to lead them on the way to the promised land. God has made a holy place for himself to dwell with the people, but then he continues to guide and instruct them on a long, long journey to the promised land. And that turns out to be quite a long journey, and really hardly anybody who was at Mount Sinai ever actually made it to the promised land. And there were all kinds of detours and false starts and backsliding on the way. But still, God kept leading his people on to the place he had promised to bring them. And that's still what our lives as God's people look like today. We are still a people on the way, a people following God's direction to the place he has promised us. The Holy Spirit makes us progressively holy by leading us on this long, slow path of discipleship. We could talk about this in a number of ways. We could say the Holy Spirit makes us holy by making us more like Christ. The Spirit makes us holy by teaching us and enabling us to follow God's will. But one image that I want to grab today is that the Holy Spirit makes us holy by leading us to the narrow path to life and then by continuing to lead us along that path. When I was in college, I spent a semester studying in England. And one particular evening, I was going out with some American friends, and one of them insisted that we all hike out of town quite a ways to this place that had the best fish and chips in the world. As we were heading out of town, someone thought it would be a great way to take the back way by the river through the countryside. So we took off. And as we were walking along this river, it started to mist and then to rain. And so we're sort of following the river along. We're pushing through trees. We're climbing over fences. We're slogging through fields as everything turns into a nice English muck. And let me tell you, if you haven't been there, England does mud really, really well. And just to top it all off, this was in the midst of the mad cow disease scare a few years ago. And you want to guess what were in the fields we were wandering through? Yeah, a whole bunch of English cows, and they were not real impressed with these crazy Americans coming through. So we wandered around in the mud for a while. We were lost. We weren't getting anywhere. But then finally, we found this nicely paved road that was headed in more or less the right direction. Now, a couple of the crazy people in the group wanted to keep wandering out across the fields and just see where we ended up. But the rest of us thought it would be good to get our feet on the solid pavement and to get going straight. So we put our feet on the straight path and we kept walking. And once we got our feet on the right road, things were going to be okay. We still had a ways to go. We had some times where we had to stop and think, now which direction do we go? Where's the right road? But after a while, we found our destination. We enjoyed some nice, warm, dry seating, 
And we had good food. Wasn't the best fish and chips in the world, but hey, after wandering around in that muck, anything would have been okay. But by default, everybody, including us, is out wandering in the muck. And let me tell you, humans make a great mess of this world. But the Holy Spirit takes us from all that wandering and he brings us to the straight path and then he leads us on to our destination. Becoming progressively more holy in our lives is about being on the right path and being headed in the right direction more than it's about whether we get absolutely everything right absolutely all the time. In this life, none of us are ever going to get to that destination of being perfectly holy. But the point is that we keep making progress in the right direction. Over the course of months and years, maybe not always hours and days, but over the course of months and years, we should be seeing ourselves becoming more like God and doing His will better. But we don't have to be perfect every single day to be assured that we are part of God's holy people. The point is continued obedience as the Spirit continues to lead us. Just like the Israelites kept following that cloud and fire in the Old Testament, our calling as God's people who are becoming more holy is to follow the Holy Spirit where He leads and to keep doing that day after day, month after month, year after year. Becoming God's holy people doesn't mean that we need to be perfect today in order to be saved. The Holy Spirit has already made us positionally holy. Because of Christ's perfect work on your behalf, the Holy Spirit has brought you from death to life and has set you apart as God's holy dwelling place in this world. God has claimed us as his holy people. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is at work in us, making all of us progressively more holy. The Holy Spirit is guiding us on the right path and leading us further along that path. God will make all of his people perfect someday. And he's now at work in us toward that end. In just a few minutes, we'll participate together in the Lord's Supper. This is one of the ways that God has provided to lead us along the path to being holy. Through this bread and this wine, the Holy Spirit draws us into the presence of our holy God. Through this bread and this wine, the Holy Spirit reminds us that because of Christ's body and blood, we are now free to stand in God's holy presence and to be God's holy dwelling place. And through this bread and this wine, the Holy Spirit works in us so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be nourished, so that we can be encouraged, and so that we can continue to be led on the narrow path to eternal life where we'll dwell with our holy God as his holy people forever. In that assurance and hope, 